This morning's reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. And it's on page 1180 for those who are following um, the church Bibles. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Well now, I'm tempted to start by saying, well, thanks, Steve, for choosing to go this Sunday to New Wine. Because he's left us with one of the, what I think is one of the more difficult passages in Galatians. Hard to understand what on earth Paul was on about. And hard to understand what on earth it's got to do with us. Let's see how we get on. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit which inspired Paul, to write what we're reading this morning. Help us by that same spirit to understand. By that same spirit, may we respond to your word. May it change us and challenge us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure as you began, Galatians, Steve brilliantly introduced you to the letter, its background, Making, giving the context for it. I want to return to that today because I think it helps to remember that as we try and struggle with the passage in front of us today. And of course, for Paul, it all started on the Damascus Road, didn't it? He'd been steeped in the Jewish traditions 
of living by the law, being right with God by the law, and suddenly that momentous occasion on the Damascus Road, he met the risen Jesus, and everything changed. He embraced that new emphasis. What is more, he didn't just uh, t- take it and uh, get on with it, as it were. We're told he went away and studied it. He got himself steeped in this new way of seeing things, new way of understanding things. And in a sense, when he's writing these letters, he's saying to us, this is my gospel that I've come to embrace and love and teach others. The best example of that is actually Romans, probably one of his most difficult books, because he was writing to the church in Rome, which he hadn't been to, saying, listen, chaps, I'm going to come and visit you. Here's my CV. This is my gospel, the one I've been come to believe and know and been preaching these last years. His writing is often full of long words, and lots of them, a bit like, dare I say, a bit like lawyers who use ten words when the one will do. And some of them are difficult words. But it's his, his gospel that he's trying to talk about and share. And he became passionate about it. So much so that he was concerned when this gospel was being challenged and undermined in any of the churches he'd founded. Colossians, for example. I don't know whether you've read Colossians recently, but there was a dotty thing going on in the church in Colossians. It's usually referred to in the commentaries as the Colossian heresy. It was all to do with sort of hyper-spiritual stuff that people are supposed to get into and things they were supposed to observe, special days, special activities. Paul wouldn't have it. We read in chapter 2 of Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There's the distinction that we're talking about this morning. Human tradition, Christ. For in Christ... Here's a key verse in Colossians. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Christ, you've got it all. You don't need anything else. That is complete. The church in Corinth was a different kettle of fish. It wasn't uh, so much uh, what was being believed... It was what was being done. If you know anything about Corinth in those days, it was an interesting place. All sorts of stuff going on, dodgy stuff of various kinds. Idolatry, immorality, unnecessary law courts, as people seem to rush to the courts, as they do today. Paul said, what are you on about? What are you doing? Well, the church got caught up in all that stuff. How does that... That sounds contemporary, doesn't it? 
the church getting caught up in the ways of the world. Too much. That's what was happening in Corinth. And he, write, he wrote this. This is the end of 2 Corinthians. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. You can see how passionate he is about these places where things have gone undermined. The gospel is being weakened, challenged. And people are believing other stuff. And all that is true and more so in Galatians. They're beginning to be caught up with these people. Again, the commentators usually refer to Judaizers. People who say, listen, if you're going to be Christian, you've got to be Jews. Take on the Jewish stuff before you can believe Christian. And Paul was not, to say the least. The opening of Galatians, do you remember it? His passionate crossness, if there is such a word, comes through particularly in the message, message version. Here's the first few verses of chapter 1. I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you've turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ. Notice that phrase. By embracing a variant message. It's not a minor variation, you know. It's completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. Can you hear his passion? The gospel that he first was hit by, literally, on the Damascus Road, he's now passionately committed to and has spent years preaching in these places. These churches are churches he started. And now people are coming in and undermining it with another message, a different message. A message is not worth happening. Last week or the week before, you would have done the beginning of chapter 3. Here he is again, being passionate. You crazy Galatians! Did someone put a hex on you? This is the message again. Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? There's the distinction. Working your heads off to please God. That's law. Or was it responding to God's message? That's grace, covenant. And that's the stuff he unpacks a bit more in the passage that's before us this morning. Let's see what sense we can make of it. He uses an example from everyday life to start with, which is that of a will. We refer to that as being a person's last will and testament. And testament is the same word, really, 
as the word covenant, which we find in the Bible. And what he makes the point is, if once that will has been made and signed, it can't be changed except unless that person makes another one. It's signed, sealed, ratified, can't be changed. It's in place. It's a covenant. That, he says, is what is the heart of our faith. A covenant from God to us. And it came, originally, of course, to Abraham. You can read all about it. You've got nothing better to do in Genesis 15 and 17. And... uh, did you realise we had the gospel in Genesis? Here's chapter 15, verse 6. Does this sound familiar? Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That could be out of Romans. That's where it all started. God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And through that, people will be blessed. What's more, at the heart of that covenant is the word, of course, grace. It's a free gift. And it was ratified. You can hear, you can read again the, the, the weird way they used to ratify covenants in those days, getting animals and cutting them in half and something going through the middle of them. It's all weird, but it's what they did. But by it, it was signed, sealed and settled. And in place, God's covenant with Abraham, which comes to all of us. And there's this slightly fa- unusual phrase in verse 16. I don't know if you noticed this, or if you've got your Bible open. Paul stresses the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, meaning not to, not to seeds, but seed. What's he banging on about? Making the point that there's one... Progression from Abraham to Christ. And anybody who's in Christ is in. Next week, whenever, you'll come to the last verse of chapter 3. And here's what the result of what Paul is trying to say. If you belong to Christ, this is verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Are you getting it? Are you with me? Promise, covenant, through Abraham to Christ and thus to us. That's gospel. Then Paul goes on to verse 17. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. This law that these people were on about and banging on about was saying was of prime importance. Paul says, no. It may be important, but in no way does it override right out That original promise, the promise is still there. The covenant is still in place. And in verse 18, we have this phrase, God in his grace gave it, 
the promise, uh, the covenant to Abraham through a promise. See those key words. Covenant, promise, grace. Covenant, promise, grace. That's the, that's the root of our faith. I'm repeating verse 29 again. If you belong to Christ, then you're in. You're in Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. We inherit in Christ the promise made of Abraham all those years ago. It's a promise of grace. Remember what grace is all about? It's about God's gift. I'm sure here you know all about God's grace. It's quite salutary, you know, to go around other churches I do these days. I had a salutary experience in a church. It shan't be named nameless. Um, the other Sunday morning, there were 11 people in the congregation. And the epistle reading set that day was Romans 5. What a wonderful chapter. So I went with it and tried to say to them, well, this is Paul's gospel, and there are key words in this, in this passage. And the, one of the key words is grace. Blank faces. We did the mnemonic, God's riches at Christ's expense. We know that, don't we, here? And then we talked about grace, the heart of the gospel. And a lady about 60 came up to the end of the service said to me, I've never heard anybody talk about grace before. I thought, where have they been? Think yourselves fortunate, my folk, that you're well taught in this place. Churches up and down the land and here in West Yorkshire, you wonder sometimes whether they're taught the faith at all. So seize every opportunity you can to, to learn. That's what Paul did. That's why he was so certain. That's why he was so sure. That's why he was so passionate. He take the trouble to learn the stuff. I used to say in uh, the pre last parish I was in up at Emily, know your stuff, know your stuff, know your stuff. That's what we tried to do all those years ago, soon after I arrived in this place. Those that some of you are still, are still here, amazingly. I began to realise that people need to be helped to know their stuff, be more sure about what they believed. So we ran about a basics course, didn't we? So you're here, we're on it. Long before Alpha or anything like that came along, I had to write it myself, didn't I? God, Jesus, Spirit, Bible, Church, Prayer. And you came. And you began to learn. And began to be more sure about what you believed. I believed that's the, that was the beginning of the growth in this place as you began to be more certain about what you believed. And that's what Paul's on about. Be sure of your gospel. Be sure of your gospel. So he asked two questions on the back of this. Basically, what's the point of the law then? Well, very good question, Paul. Verse 19, why was the law given at all? The answer is, basically, to show us that we need the promise. Paul spells this out quite helpfully in Romans yet again. Here's Romans 3, verse 20. Where is it? Here we are. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the law helps us to know we get it wrong. And therefore, we need the promise. And perhaps more, most significantly of all, 
Paul, in chapter 7 of Romans, says this. What should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law showed up how bad we were and how much in need we were. And whenever I come to that principle, particularly the one in there in Romans, I think absolutely years ago, even before I came here, when I was in my first curacy in Cambridge, sitting one day in, the fr- in our front room with Jill, and suddenly the light came, the sun came out. And Jill said, those windows are dirty. They'd been dirty all the time. But the sun showed the dirt. They needed cleaning before the sun shone. Now we knew they needed cleaning. That's what the law does, says Paul. He shows us our need. It shows us our need. Thus Paul can say in Romans 3.23, you know that verse, don't you? Romans 3.23? Where have you been? Romans 3.23? Go on. That's the one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How do we know that? Because of the law. What do we do about it? We go to the promise. Are we getting it? Are we seeing the relationship? This convoluted passage between law and promise. Hope so. I think I'm getting it. The second question he asks, verse 20, verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? And Paul says, of course it's not. How can you suggest such a thing? It's not at all opposed. They're, in a sense, doing a different job for the same purpose, to bring us to Christ. The law shows us we need him. The promise brings us the solution. The, the, the law is the diagnosis, and the promise is the cure. How about that? Yes? Will that do? Hey. I just thought of that. So we come to this more other difficult question. What on earth has this all got to do with us? Well, I hope I've hinted as I've gone through why I think it is relevant to us. First, a simple question. Are you sure about your faith? As Paul was. Are you sure you've received the promise or are you in some sense living by law? I ask that because it surprises me how often you, you ask folk who are faithful Christian worshipping people if they're Christians and they, if they dare to come out with the answer. They often say what they do. Well, I go to church. I say my prayers. I read the Bible. I give to the poor. Brilliant. But that's law. If I get to those pearly gates and I'm asked, why should you come in? I'll get nowhere if I say, well, I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other, I've done the other. No, the answer is because of you, what you did for me, not what I may have done for you. Remember that challenging place in in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus had to say, it's no good you coming to me saying, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. Those words, Matthew 7, I never knew you. Now there's the key. It's what he's done for me, not what I've done for him. 
Law is what I try to do for him. Promise, grace, covenant is what he's done for me. That's the gospel. So I ask you, are you sure about that? Are you certain about that? And are you passionate about it as Paul was? And would you recognize another gospel if you heard it? There's plenty of them around. We're in wonderful ideas about God, about who Jesus is, about uh, all sorts of things we're supposed to believe as Christians. Do you recognize them? And are you clear enough and passionate enough to challenge it when you hear it, as Paul would have done? And I will say, say, say this, and I say this carefully. I think we need to uh, be clear in our minds, individually and corporately, what our gospel is, what things are primary to that gospel, and what things may be secondary. And I say that without getting into any issues, particularly because I'm so keenly aware of what the church is struggling with at the moment, the, the wider church, the issues that are around the church. You know what I'm talking about. We need to decide what is gospel in the face of this. What is gospel? If what we are hearing is part of that gospel, we embrace it. If it's not, we resist it. But we need to be clear. So I think Paul, once we get through to him and understand him, has things to say to us, which maybe we need to take on board. I leave it with you for further reflection. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Paul and his, and his gospel, the fact he was so passionate about it. We pray we may be equally passionate about the gospel in our day and respond when we see and hear things that are not in, in, compatible to it. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we singing at this point? Uh, if you, and are people coming for prayer if they need it? Is that the, is that the plan? If there are, yes? Yes, I'm getting